If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. Another J.C. and Morgan podcast. J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Sorry, it's been a a couple weeks. Uh, I've had a lot of basketball duties. We've all been kind of wrapped up in different things. Uh, Last time we had Tim Brando on, who, who, who brought the heat, and I know our our guest today will bring the heat. Uh, you know him. If you're a certain age, you know him as a player. If you're like really young, you just know him as that guy you see on TV calling games. But uh, Heisman Trophy winner, NFL quarterback, ESPN announcer, Houston Texans announcer. Uh, he is Andre Ware and uh, proud to say that I've had a chance to work with him a number of times. And, and for my money, one of the best analysts out there. Andre, how are you, man? Doing well, man. You, you, uh, that introduction sounds like I wear a lot of hats. Like, yeah. You know, you yeah. retire from the NFL. You want to scale back a little bit. And I remember a buddy telling me, man, you work, uh, you work seven days a week. And I was like, how do you figure that? And he goes, well, you do. I was at the time doing morning drive uh, here in Houston and then doing games on the weekends. And I was mm-hmm. like, dang, you are absolutely right. I need to scale that back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I'm doing great. I can't, I uh, can't complain. Chasing my 11-year-old son around for baseball and basketball practices and games, and those overlap, so uh, he keeps me busy. A lot of people might forget this, uh, but you were part of the initial launch on the SEC Network, so yes. that was that was your package for a while uh, when all that uh, got started in 2014. And and you know you're not known as quote unquote an SEC guy. You didn't play in the mm-hmm. SEC, obviously. What was it like? doing those games week in week out compared to what you're doing now on more of a, a national scale. It was a lot of fun. You know, when, whenever you're on the front end of something that's groundbreaking, uh, you knew that it was going to be a big part of what ESPN and, and, uh, and the SEC were, were the, the package they were, were putting together. And Dave Neal and I were fortunate enough to be the first to, uh, to do those games. It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you, we got quality games, uh, quality competition every single weekend. Uh, and, and you look forward to it. And then, and then being part of it in the sec, you got a little closer to each and every program because, uh, you know, coaches knew exactly what that meant and what the future of, uh, of the network was going to look like. Uh, and just like I said, being on the, uh, the forefront of that was, was, uh, was a lot of fun in and of itself. And now, of course, you're 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 doing you're all over the place uh, from a national standpoint, which means you know you've got to be boned up on on everything going on. It, 
but you're, you're, I mean, getting to know you, just working with you over the years, you're a fan of the sport anyway. You're not just a former player. Like a lot of former players, when they get out of it, they almost want to be removed from it entirely. Like they don't want to watch games on a Saturday. You, I know we would be getting ready to do one game and you're watching another one going, I really like that quarterback, man. He's, he's going to make it in the league. So I guess for you, you kind of enjoy the uh, variety pack. I I really do. Um, You know, it's just, it kind of keeps you close to the game. I think once you've played it, it's kind of in your DNA, so to speak, it becomes part of you. And, uh, and you just, I like to kind of try to forecast whether a guy is going to play on the next level, where he would play on the next level, even all the way down to uh, the trenches with the offense and defensive linemen. So uh, it, that, that for me is fun. The preparation for games is fun. Uh, the knowledge that you learn about certain individuals, the players, the coaches, the background stories, all that's fun. And, and uh, you get to engage in, you know, obviously our, our coaches meetings and things of that sort in preparation for games. But, uh, you know, when you know a person's background, they know that you've spent a little bit of time uh, getting to know them. And, and so they're a little more willing to open up even more so uh, when you get a chance to talk to them. So that part of it for me is a lot of fun. I enjoy the prep as much as I enjoy game day. And certainly game day is a lot of fun as well. And then, you know, even games that we aren't covering, uh, I'm a fan of those as well. So I just like good, healthy competition, I guess. Yeah, I, I would I would echo that. Um, I, JC and I were, were talking with you before we started uh, mm-hmm. recording on this about some of your days playing uh, at Houston and one of the most exciting offenses at the time. And, 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 and that was so... I don't want to say revolutionary in a lot of ways. I mean, it was just so different. When I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to give, you got to give Lavelle Edwards credit at BYU. Right. And of course, you know, Spurrier, I think another one of those groundbreaking guys that said it, it, it's not three yards in a cloud of dust. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to throw the hell out of it and we're going to beat you doing it. Um, when you look at that now, when you look at that then compared to now, now it's like everybody is doing a closer version to throw, throw, throw. It just feels like teams can't win just running the ball, doing ground and pound, three yards in a cloud of dust. Am I wrong on that? But, I, I mean, I just don't know if you can win that way, win championships that way anymore. No, I don't think you can. I think you can close out games in that manner if you're sure. a good running team and, and you need to go into your four-minute offense and, and you've got to – uh, a back that's capable of doing that, taking over a game late. Uh, I think the thing that correlates the two in my era and what's going on today is the hurry up style of it. We were one of the first, and I don't know that we were so much just in a hurry to run plays. We were uh, trying to keep you in a certain defense once we got you there and then took advantage of that by going no huddle. So that's the, that's the component that I think you still see in today's game. It's more no huddle, hurry up. Uh, And then being athletic back then, it forced you to play 11 on 11 because I could pull it down and and take off with it at any time. You see that more and more in today's game, which is why uh, teams and and schools have gone away from just the three yards in a cloud of dust. They want to incorporate a more athletic quarterback that forces defenses to play 11 on 11. So, you know, I look back, look at it. And, you know, naturally sitting here uh, comparing apples to 
to oranges or apples to apples in some cases and what we did back then and what's going on in today's game. And you, you feel a little sense of pride because it was kind of a, a trend-setting deal that you were a part of that still holds true today. I, as much as I study film, I see route concepts that are very similar to what we did back then. They just There might be a tight end running the underneath stuff that's different from a slot receiver that we had running that those same routes back then. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's gratifying in a sense that uh, it's still around. It's gratifying in a sense that we were one of the first to do it from a no huddle standpoint. And uh, the difference now I would say is most offenses are from the gun back then. I never took a gun snap. I was always under center. As the run and shoot in the classic sense, they still uh, – I remember watching some old run and shoot. It was under center. That, that had to be even more challenging, Andre. It's, uh, it's something else. So, how about uh, – all right, quarterbacks in the SEC heading into this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know kind of being out in Big 12 country, you're familiar with Spencer Rattler. We have a lot of South Carolina people that listen to us. Uh, your take on him, on Jaden Daniels, who's now at LSU – uh, and just on all the quarterbacks that uh, uh, have transferred in, Jackson Dart from Southern Cal is uh, at Ole Miss now playing for Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a remade sort of situation, uh, but still a lot of talent at that position in the SEC. Yeah, you do. And you still got the man at Alabama who's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's just Heisman winners because we can't forget about him first and foremost, but I, I think, uh, I think this is a nice fresh start for Spencer Rattler. Uh, there's some, uh, some components that are there and obviously in the form of coaches that he's comfortable with that I think he's this, this could be a huge bounce back year for him. and really needs to be. Um, and Jackson Daniels coming in, just, uh, you mentioned Jackson Dart as well. Jaden, Jaden Daniels. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's another healthy crop of quarterbacks in the sec. There's so many athletes um, that you really need one that you can plug and play and just kind of people look at this as a bad word, but kind of manage the game. You have to do that as a quarterback anyway, but you've got so much talent around you at all these SEC schools. I mean, even at, you know, the likes of Kentucky and, and places like that, there's a tremendous amount of talent that the gap has really closed and I don't know that there's a just a flat-out dominance the way it used to be. We look at Alabama, and obviously we look at Georgia. But those teams have to play each and every week within the SEC. And a part of that, and the reason why, is because a good quarterback play across the board that keeps teams in, uh, in games week in and week out. So I think we're in, for a, uh, we're in store for another fantastic year of quarterback play in the SEC, where we, which will make that great of football uh, as as good as it's ever been in pre as in comparison to previous years, Andre. Like I said, you you know you're you're doing games in all leagues, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about this quite a bit on this podcast. That uh, college football is fantastic. We love it. We can't get enough of it. Um, no matter how sometimes the sport seems like a rudderless ship that doesn't have enough direction case in point. Here we are. We got four more years of a 14 playoff when everybody knows it's going to expand, but we can't right. get everybody to agree to expand the right way. We, we should be used to that kind of stuff by now. What does concern me, even just as a fan, forget about it as an announcer is that it seems like we're talking about the same five teams at the top every year. Like there can be breakout teams that could win 10 games and 
maybe win their conference. But we're really we're, we're talking about winning it all. We don't have a whole lot of teams that are really in the conversation every year because when it gets to January, it feels like it's kind of the same deal with a little different twist every now and then. It was different when you played. I mean, there just seemed to be more variety. Does that concern you at all? And do you see that changing anytime soon? Well, my, I think it needs to change from a standpoint of, of guys really doing their due diligence from a preseason ranking standpoint. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of unfair where you've got to come from the bottom because you've got a brand name that automatically goes in the top 10 every year and you've got to play your way out of it so to speak, for another guy that's starting at 23, 24 to have a chance to to elevate themselves into the conversation that has a legit uh, chance to uh, to win it. Like a Cincinnati. I mean, it, it almost took to, you know, the, the changing of college football for them to get into the playoff, and then they, they face a monster once they're there. But there are some teams, I think, that could have bounced back some story programs, and then maybe one that's kind of an outlier that uh, will have a chance to, to work their way in USC. I think will bounce back this year with uh, Lincoln Riley going out there as a head coach. He's assembled a lot of talent. He's used the transfer portal uh, to, to kind of get things kick started. And there's a tremendous amount of talent in, in that area of the country to choose from. So I think they will be heard from again this year. And then the outlier I think would be Utah and the physical play that they've they showed against Oregon twice last year. Uh, Oregon, who beat Ohio State, and you're one of those name brand programs you know will be in the top 10, somewhere in that top 10 ranking when the season starts, uh, along with whomever else, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the whomever else that, that are there, Michigan, every single year. But I think Utah has a chance to really surprise some people. And uh, he has done, they've done a nice job of building. They've done a nice job of developing. And I think if you're going to challenge those story programs, you have to have development within your program. And uh, that, that's, that's going on in a lot of different programs around the country. So there could be some differences uh, this year. But to start the season, we will see the same, same name brand, so to speak. At the top. But we're both Coach Winningham fans, by the yes, way. I, mean, I, I think he's one of the most unheralded guys out there. And, and having done a couple of Utah games, when you talk to him, you just realize like he's got it all under control. Uh, and the proof is in the pudding on the field. What about, you know, forget about teams and brands and everything else. What about today's game? When you sit back and you call a game or you watch a game, what do you like compared to your era? Like, yeah, I can see where the game has really improved and it's 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 better for the fans versus what do you look at and say, man, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I don't like where that I don't like where that's going and where it is. Well, it all starts on the offensive side because I, I think there's good defensive play in both eras and guys fly around and make plays and you see more athletes uh, in today's game, obviously, than you did then there. I think defenses then were built for three yards in a cloud of dust, which allowed offenses that were willing to spread it out and, and throw it around a little bit to have some success. But the things I like is that I like the wide open approach. I like uh, the excitement. I like the scoreboard ringing and I like back and forth games that, that, uh, that go down to the wire. The one thing that drives me crazy. And if you listen to one of my broadcasts, you'll, you'll probably hear it or you've, You've worked with me enough to probably even know this. 
short yardage situations, <laughs> teams are still in the shotgun. Right. It drives me nuts. Yeah. And then you because you open up a bad snap happening and not a conversion, then that drive stalls or it's a turnover. Uh, you allow for penetration uh, when the ball has, you got to wait on the, the running backs waiting on the ball instead of, you know, exploding to the line of scrimmage and engaging the defense. Mm-hmm. Rather, the, the defense is engaging uh, the backfield. That's the one thing in today's game that that just I want to whatever little hair I have left I want to pull it out. <laughs> we saw the Super Bowl with, on, the, yes. on the final drive for Cincinnati. Yes. I mean, you go empty shotgun on fourth and one. Yeah, like, that no, never would have happened in your day. No, I don't. I don't understand it. That and condensing down once you if you're if you're wide open and you drive you know the seventy yards and you're down at about the the ten yard line or inside the ten and then you decide to list. Let's go heavy and 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 bring everybody down. Bring everybody to the party. No, let's keep them spread out and get the throwing lanes you need. Everything just needs to speed up a tad, but don't crunch everything down. And now you're making it harder harder on yourself to get the ball into the end zone. What are some of your favorite venues to to broadcast a game? You've you've been to most of them: SEC, Big Twelve, and other leagues. What are some of your favorite spots? Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite from a scenic standpoint is BYU. I mean, it's just mm. a beautiful place in the mountain. And, you know, you got the, the, you know, the background. It's when the sun's going down, if you're there to do a night game, I always get to that stadium early just to see the sun go down and, and just just the scenic part of it. It's just outstanding. Um, Ole Miss, just because of, uh, you know, the it's crazy there. It's uh, it's a good time. I use I judge I judge these things as well by food. You know, <laughs> I'm an eater and I like to eat and, and take part in a good meal. And so I've got a place for every single meal, breakfast, lunch and dinner when I go to to, uh, to Oxford, Mississippi to do a game at Ole Miss. And so uh, that that is is big for me. I don't even think uh, outside of those. Um, what about a Big 12 venue? Big 12, big 12. Which which is changing every day. It's, yeah, you got to think it, about it. it. Which, it which venues are total, still there? look totally different than yeah, we uh, we see it. Oklahoma's yeah. good. I like I like going to Oklahoma State as well. Believe it or not, I like Kansas State. That It's a, it's a heck Kansas of a trip to get yeah. in there. But once you're there, it's it just kind of feels just right. You know, there's something about it that feels right, and the fans are passionate. And, Little and, Apple's uh, cool. No, it's a, it, that's a that's a cool little spot. Um, yeah. One more on the Big Twelve. I mean, I I thought about you and all that was going down. First off, when I when I first started doing Big Twelve games back in twenty twelve thirteen, mm-hmm. I kept asking the question, "Why is Houston not in this league? This makes no sense." And then I right. understood that the politics of it, and you know, it, it's finally happened. But uh, when you look at all the drama that has happened within that conference. Um, uh, again, it wound up good for your alma mater, mm-hmm. but th- does it not kind of break your heart to see a, a once really, really powerful league just lost quite a bit and has, it, it's been on unstable ground for really a decade. Yeah. It broke my heart when the Southwest conference broke up, mm-hmm. that was the first heartbreak. And then obviously seeing Oklahoma and Texas, uh, exit and go to the sec that that's disheartening because now that houston's in it um you know you want 
the best competition that you could possibly face week in and week out. And obviously, Oklahoma, let's not make any mistake, they make the league better. Oklahoma and Texas make the league better. Now, let's hope that everything else stays in place when Houston gets to the Big 12, because I don't think it's finished yet. I think there's still more adjustments to go. I think uh, there are more departures to happen. And so I don't think that it's going to be the same league that we envision with just taking Oklahoma and Texas out and inserting UCF, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati. Uh, I think there's there's more movement yet to come. And does it become a, um, a look-alike of the American in the South and not a power conference that we've known the Big 12 to be over all these years? So that for that, I'm just, just kind of keeping my fingers crossed that, that it's just Oklahoma and Texas moving and that the other four are coming and nothing else changes. But I'm also a realist to believe that there's more movement yet to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, Andre, back to some X's and O's, how much do you think the RPO game has changed football offenses on both levels, on, on all levels, actually, uh, the NFL included? Uh, I, th- I think in college, obviously, with your offensive linemen being able to get downfield a little more, it, it's even more revolutionary. But the pros mm-hmm. do a good job with it, too. Uh, and is that really that different uh, from when you played uh, the, the RPO uh, type of situation, or is that kind of a variant uh, of something that, that maybe has been around for a while? No, we didn't have the RPO in it uh, in, an, in our offenses when I was at Houston or in college. And I think it's changed tremendously because you put extra stress on a defense uh, when you're able to do it, when you have an athletic quarterback, that can can make plays whether you're going to give it, uh, pull it, throw it, or keep it. Uh, it. It is it's a nightmare to defend. It's almost I would equate it to playing one of the uh, one of the academies on a short week because it puts so much stress on you uh, defensively to have to try to account for everybody. And we all know that if you're doing it at a at one of the better levels around the country. It's almost impossible to account for it uh, on every level. You got good receivers, a good running back or two, and then a quarterback that could certainly make you make you pay with his legs. It's it's almost indefensible. So um, it has changed the game. Coaches are copycats. We all know that 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 part of it's true. So I think that's why it's it's you start starting to see it not just across all of college football but even make its way into the NFL for those teams that have athletic quarterbacks that can, that can uh, make that thing go. Are you amazed at how advanced like a 19 year old freshman quarterback coming in is there was a time where it was like, you're not ready, son. You're Mm -hmm. this ain't high school, but now the way they're playing and seven on seven and the camps and everything else, it's not uncommon to expect a freshman to not only start, but to be really, really good. Is that not take yeah, your breath away at all? It's not surprising because of what you mentioned, the, the, the seven on seven camps. I think kids coming out of high school now are more adept at reading defenses because you're going through the seven on seven period. I know here just from the state of Texas, we were a three yards in a cloud of dust state for a long time. This was the state of running backs. And now you look around the NFL 
I mean, at upwards of seven, eight, nine were starters in the NFL last year that were that have Texas ties or went to Texas high schools. And so, and I think that's mainly because of the training that they get one in high school to the seven on seven stuff where you're forced to learn and read defenses. And the way we were taught things when I got to the university of Houston was I learned to read defenses first before we installed plays. So you learn the weaknesses of defenses and where to go against certain looks. Then we would install a play one play and then run it to both sides against a certain look in defense so that you knew where exactly you were going with the football. So now you, you migrate that or mirror it or mesh it with um, training, diet. They're coming out bigger, faster, stronger. So they're prepared physically uh, to take the pounding that you would take as a, as a freshman. Now they look like juniors coming into colleges, you know, versus way back when I came out of high school. Um, that along with, the offenses that are being run on the high school level are almost mirroring what's being run in college. So maybe the terminology is a little bit different, but the same types of concepts make it a little bit easier to integrate into college a lot faster. Who are some of the guys that have uh, impressed you the most? I mean, I think about where we are right now in college and pro. And it's hard to separate the two when you're talking about elite quarterbacks because we all can't help ourselves. We're all like, well, he's really going to he's going to translate well to the next level. So in the last few years alone, we've seen Pat Mahomes Mm -hmm. go from tech to elite status. Joe Burrow go from LSU to elite status. Josh Allen was like that ultimate wild card, like, yeah, he wasn't that accurate. And he played at Wyoming and now he just looks like a freak. Um, who, Who are the guys that really? impressed you very much in college and, and you look at now as the best of the best at the pro level? Uh, I think you named a few. I would I would toss uh, even Tua in there because when, when Tua gets some talent around him, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive line where he stops getting beat up, uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be something special. And I think that's exactly why Miami has chosen to to stay with him. When Deshaun's on the field, he is as good as there is. And then the guy that I think has really blown me away from a standpoint, not so much blown me away, but maybe surprised a lot of others is Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And just the freak uh, athlete that he is refused to run the 40 because he knew he would set a time that, you know, now they want me to run receiver drills and things of that sort. But mm-hmm. Hey, I'm a quarterback first. And uh, I think he's more than proven that uh, the year he won the MVP and he's had his team right on the cusp of, uh, of getting to a Super Bowl, I think that's one of the things that, that really challenges him on a, on a daily basis, not just you know per year, but on a daily basis as he goes about his business and puts his work in in preparation for the season. But he, he has developed, and I think that the, there's even more to come to his game from a, from a pocket passer standpoint to where he's really going to uh, elevate Baltimore. Once they surround him with more more weapons, then uh, I think you're going to really see him take off. He was amazing. At, at and that's scary because of where he is right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, people get caught up in his running ability, but that guy can throw. I mean, yeah. uh, I even coming out of high school, I, I covered national uh, college football recruiting at the time for 24-7 sports. And I, I was surprised that more schools, Florida, uh, some of those 
in-state programs didn't go after him. Louisville mm-hmm. got a steal. And then I was like, well, you know, Petrina, how does he fit with Petrina? I mean, he fit just fine. I mean, he, he was a special player. And I, I don't understand why people underrate uh, his arm talent and, and the wow. way he can throw the football. Uh, you know, it, it, he's almost probably the closest thing to Mike Vick, I think. Yes. Uh, because, yeah. you know, Mike can throw it too, you know, yeah. uh, that we've had uh, in quite some time and, and he stays healthy. So that, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know that Bobby, I don't know that Bobby Petrino gets enough credit for the job that he yeah. did. And I don't think really people really realize the type of system that Lamar ran at Louisville. It was mm-hmm. a pro ready system. Yeah. So mm-hmm. From a terminology standpoint, he had a leg up going into the NFL on just how to call plays in the huddle and break the huddle. A lot of guys will struggle with that. Then I remember JC covering his pro day. ESPN <laughs> sent me to Louisville to cover his pro day. That's maybe the only time I think I've heard a ball whistle indoors. Wow. Whistle, <laughs> whistle. And you hear it outside because obviously the wind. Sure. But inside the, the spiral is so tight, you can actually hear it whistle coming off of his hand. It was, I was blown away. That fires, that fires me up, man. <laughs> that's, that's something else. Wrapping things up with, uh, with Andre where Andre, people can't see this when they listen, but over your left shoulder, you've got the, the Heisman trophy. Uh, I, I, heck I, 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 take it with me if i had one i'd take it to the supermarket i've been accused of putting it on the front of my car (laughs) (laughs) be a a nice emblem uh you know every year we see the ceremony and we see all the guys lined up i don't know if you you can do that every year because you got to work you got games to do but but just what does it mean when that time of year comes along and you all are obviously like one big fraternity Mm -hmm. you all have, have had chances to meet one another, speak to one another. And it's such an elite group. And quite frankly, I would argue it's the only award that really means a ton. These like I can't tell you who won the NFL MVP 10 years ago. I'd probably tell you who won the Heisman. Yeah, I yeah. can't tell you who won the major league baseball MVP five years ago. I can tell you who won the Heisman five years ago. So what does it mean to you when that time of the year rolls around? Yeah, it's a special time because it gives you a chance, really. You know, you get so busy and caught up in what you're doing and and prepping for games and and the work that you do for the year. But when that time comes around, everything just kind of slows down and comes to a pause. Mm. And I think every one of us, the reason why we're so close is everybody knows what it took uh, to to get to the the final stages of when your name is called and and what that felt like. it gives you a chance to reminisce on that season, that group, the group of guys that you played with, uh, that period of time in your life, what exactly was going on. And we share in those stories. And a lot of them, believe it or not, are pretty much almost identical. You know, when we get together and we're talking about things like that, nobody tries to upstage anybody in that room because we all got one, you know, it's, and so it's just, a, uh, a free flow of information, a good time. And I think the Heisman Trust, they do one heck of a job of, of getting us together when we're all able to be there or, or a big number of us and to make sure it's a special time for us, not only the, the period of time in which you want it, but the years thereafter. And you're getting, as you get older and you have kids and you have families, now you get to share that experience with them and what it meant and things of that sort. It's a, it's a tremendous award to be a part of. And I try to do my part in terms of uh, 
making sure the respect is there for the award, the appreciation is there, and that I represent uh, the trophy in the right way each and every day when I go about my my daily deal. No doubt. Who finished second your year? Do you remember? Uh, Anthony Thompson, I think, from Indiana. Oh, yeah. Running back Indiana. Running back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are a few other guys. Emmett was in, in there. Tony Rice, Major Harris. Uh, they were finals <laughs> as well, Matt. That's Boy. a pretty strong field. That's a that's a pretty strong field of guys. No no doubt about that. Andre, can't thank you enough. I'm glad we finally got this done. I know. Yeah, let's do it again. I enjoyed it. We we will. Um, would love to have you back on, and hopefully, you and I will do some games together. Maybe uh, maybe even a spring game. I know we both have that uh, coming up for the Four Letter yeah. Network. And uh, again, I, I've always said uh, one of the greatest compliments that you can receive or give in terms of an announcer is. He's a really comfortable listen. Like your knowledge is there, obviously. You do your homework, but I've always thought you're just a really comfortable listen. That's yeah. important to guys like me. So uh really appreciate the work that you do, and I've loved working with you the last few years. Thanks, guys. You're one of my favorites, man. And uh, I look forward to it every time we I get the assignment sheet and and your name's on it. So uh, I appreciate we'll, that. Uh, we'll get to do some more here in the near future. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get uh, the agent to push that forward, man. Let's get, do get, it. A, get a little more Morgan Ware uh, combo. Andre, <laughs> stay, stay busy. I know you will in the offseason and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, JC. Thanks, Andre. Special thanks again to uh, Andre Ware. Really enjoyed having him on. We'll continue to be pretty uh, guest heavy throughout the uh, off season, although as we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, there, there really isn't much of a, an off season. Um, JC, not a ton has happened, but a, but a good enough amount of stuff has happened, including the NFL combine. So as we, we, uh, get a little bit into the, the general here, uh, conversation in our final segment, what are some of the things that have stood out to you? Yeah. And I, uh, I actually uh, did some research on, you know, Georgia's defense this past year and then kind of how they did at the combine. And it's a, uh, it's a freak show. Um, and I, I, those of you that are out there in Instagram, you could follow our podcasts, Instagram account at JC and Morgan on Instagram. Uh, and uh, we kind of, we update some things on there and I, and I put that there was a quote of mine on there that about defense is back. And I said that at the beginning of the 2021 season and you know, we could talk about if Jamison Williams hadn't gotten hurt, whatever, how would Alabama have done? And and that, that, that's a subject, but Georgia won the national championship, and Georgia had the most dominant defense we've seen in years for the most part. Well, here's why. <laughs> uh, Jordan Davis, six – and this is the NFL combine. Six, six, 341 pounds, four, seven, eight in the 40. That's the fastest time ever run by somebody over 320. The broad jump was 10-3. <laughs> I mean, and broad jump is something that, that you know, uh, fans may not talk about a lot, but coaches, you, you talk to them about offensive linemen and defensive linemen, broad jump is a big deal. Like, they're like, man, he brought, you know, you're like, you know, you get the coaches in there talking about, like, hey, broad jumps, you know, 10 feet, they go crazy. Um, so that's a, that's a test of explosiveness is what that is, explosive right. athleticism. The and other one is what, the, the shuttle or cone drill, is it not? I the mean, shuttle because... is lateral movement. Yeah. So, yeah, and I didn't get a shuttle on Jordan. I'm sure it's good. I'm sure it's uh, good, too. Devontae Wyatt, who was unheralded, and I, I have a little story about Devontae Wyatt. He was uh, had no offers. He's from in, uh, inner city Atlanta, 
Uh, I don't know if he's in DeKalb or Fulton, but it's one of those schools near Grady-ish, kind of not Grady, but it's I can't remember exactly where he's from. He camped in South Carolina and Muschamp and uh, Lance Thompson uh, evaluated him, offered him on the spot, and he committed. And then Georgia had him in camp, and, and they liked him too. And he ended up going to Georgia. Uh, and really, he is an example of great – they all are. Uh, Jordan Davis – was a three-star offensive lineman out of Charlotte that they evaluated and developed. Wyatt was a lower four-star guy, 6'3", 304, 477, which was tops among all defensive tackles in the combine, nine-foot, three-inch broad jump. And uh, those, the Jordan Davis freak thing is one thing. That, now, this is, this is a real big – and this kid was a five-star. Trevon Walker, right, Mike? 6'5", 272. 10-3 in the broad jump, 4-5-1 in the 40. And his short shuttle, as you mentioned, lateral movement, this is elite. These are linebacker times. These are 220-pound linebacker times, 4-3-2 in the short shuttle, mm. um, which is, which is you know, like, all right, so your best corners are probably in the 4-1 range uh, in the short shuttle when you're kind of doing that evaluation. This guy's 4-3-2 at 272 pounds. I mean, uh, some of these three, like some of these teams that run three, four uh, alignments in the National Football League. I mean, should should trade up to get this cat. I mean, he, he's awesome. Channing Tindall, two hundred thirty pound linebacker who really came into his own this year. Forty two inch vertical leap, four four seven at six two two thirty. Quay Walker, another one of those big outside linebacker in types, six four two forty one four five two in the forty two hundred forty one pounds, and a ten two. Broad jump. Uh, Lewis Seen, who's their, one of their best safeties, 6'2, 199, 437, which I think was number one in the 40 uh, with safeties, 11 foot, one inch broad jump. Uh, and yeah, that, that broad, broad jump was number one as well. So, and we didn't even we didn't talk about their secondary a whole lot. Darion Kendrick, who's going to be drafted probably in, maybe in the first round, and Nicobe Dean, who I thought had a season where he was one of the most dominant linebackers individually, just he as did. a linebacker yes. that I've seen. I mean, it, it, within the league, you know, depending on if you consider Will Anderson like a true linebacker, you consider him like a like a, a Channing Tindall or Quay Walker type that, that's kind of more of a pass rusher. It, it just depends. But, but the Kobe Dean's a linebacker. You know, I, I saw mm-hmm. him in the championship game. Bama had a guy wide open. Um running for daylight, and Dean comes streaking across the field. What could have been a 27-yard, 30-yard game uh, in a game where you don't have good linebacker play uh, was about 6-7, you know, because he, he's an eraser. Mm-hmm. And, and so Dean and Kendrick didn't even work out. Um, and here's what this tells me. Recruiting is important because most of these guys were four and four, four and five-star guys, hmm. uh, except Davis, and then Wyatt was a barely a four-star. But I also think player development, because Channing Tindall – did not get off the bench at Georgia uh, when he first got there. He had an underclassman beat him out, and you saw what kind of senior year he had. We mentioned Jordan Davis. We mentioned Devontae Wyatt. Uh, Trevon Walker was a freak, five-star guy coming out of high school, but to get him 272, 451, it's unbelievable. I didn't know if Quay Walker would work out or not. Uh, and look at him now, you know, the, and, of course, uh, Lewis Seen was a um, – a high four-star kid out of the state of Texas. They got Dean and Kendrick, obviously, were five-stars. So I always talk about a blend and, and player development. When you can combine, uh, and I, I've spent a lot of time on this show, downplaying just labeling guys as five-stars and saying, oh, well, they're great. 
you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not coming off of that, but what I'm pointing out is this, when you combine that type of raw talent, Mike, with that type of evaluation ability, plus player development, which Georgia did an outstanding job of on that side of the, I mean, you look at their defenses here, it was like a grand symphony coming together. I mean, <laughs> they, they, it was, it was almost like watching guns. If you love defensive football uh, and you love like college basketball, uh, you know how guns when you watch Gonzaga play uh, men's college basketball, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. brand of basketball. Mm-hmm. That Georgia defense this year was just a beautiful brand of defensive football. I know what happened in Atlanta, and I'll tell everybody this: the way you beat a team like this is you throw it over the top of their defense. And and Bama was masterful at doing that in the championship game and wore them out. Uh, Bama didn't have the ability to do that in the national championship game, and you saw what happened. Uh, but it was just a masterful, masterful job by Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, Dan Lanning, uh, Glenn Schumann, whoever you want to give credit to, for that defense for. Uh, that was very, very impressive. That's why they had a parade in Athens. That's why the trophy's in Athens. Uh, and, and, and the NFL combine just reinforces that, Mike, because as good as some of Alabama's defenses have been during the Saban era, I've never seen anything like this. I, I'm not, like with the individual freaky athleticism and talent. No, it, it look, if it wasn't for the stub the toe moment in Atlanta, that derailed all the conversation that was going on before that game, which mm-hmm. was this is one of the best defenses of our generation. And then all of a sudden it's like, Okay, not ready for the big time. Alabama still big daddy and and so on. And then then of course the narrative changes when you do get that redemption in the national championship game. I think people just have to and I think they will uh consciously or subconsciously now adapt to the idea that Georgia's basically another Alabama. And this has been coming for a while. Kirby has been building this for a while. Um they've always had great running backs and They've had first-round offensive linemen in recent years. I'm a little surprised they haven't been more stockpiled at wide receiver. That's probably coming, too. You would know mm-hmm. more about that than me. Yeah. Um, and, and they were good enough this year, I thought. Was- oh, yeah, yeah. I just – when I think of, like, those Clemson-Alabama national title no, teams yeah, no, yeah. where it's like first-rounder, 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 <laughs> all over the all yeah. over the wide-out position where you can't double one guy because then another first-rounder is going to beat you. Georgia didn't have that luxury – uh, in the last couple of years, but it's probably coming. And, and again, people dogged Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett was more than capable as he showed in the, in the national championship game and throughout the regular season. And then it's just a matter of that getting over that mental hurdle that like, okay, we can finally win that first national title. And then to exercise the demons and, and do it against Alabama. Now it's like, I, I just don't know how you slow that train down. Alabama's going to be great again this year. Georgia's going to be great again uh, this year. And they're probably going to be really, really, really good (laughs) as long as those two guys, Saban and Kirby, stay where they are and the state of the program stay where they are. And then it's up to like the rest of the league to just try to get in there. And that's where the A&Ms and LSUs and Florida's, et cetera, et cetera, are trying to get to with all the coaching changes they make and and all the facility upgrades they make. But how long have I been saying this? We're, we're living in a Georgia-Alabama world? Like, that's in the SEC. Yeah. It's kind of – I don't see that changing a whole lot. There's a couple more ingredients in the pot. We'll see what the Aggies do this year. Um, 
but I don't expect the, the league to be incredibly diversified at the top. No, I, I'm with you and in, in A&M in all honesty. I mean, they, they, they have to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. Is it going to be the, the kid that got hurt this year? Uh, Haynes, Haynes King, I think is his name. Uh, are you going to go with Brad Johnson's kid that, that comes in from LSU? Uh, and then Jimbo says that the guy that they're bringing in for the 2022 class is better than anybody's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think this, this recruiting class, this is the first time we've seen A&M sign the number one recruiting class. And uh, there's been two other programs that have done it. Uh, for the past, what, 15, 13 recruiting cycles, and that's Georgia for one year and then Alabama most years. Uh, so I, I, I think that with A&M, the, the expectations are going to be high this season, but they may people may want to chill because they may be a year away. They, they you know, just give these guys in this 22-22 class uh, time. I mean, Evan Stewart is obviously a guy receiver that can come in and make a, a, a lot of good plays, but there are a lot of linemen. There's a quarterback. There, there, there's other guys uh, that are elite th- that are just going to take maybe a year, not not very long, but but maybe a year uh, to blend with everybody else. But boy, that's uh, this class they have is special. I mean, there, there's no question about it. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you look at the people Bama has coming back. I'm, I'm sure Alabama – and I love Jameer Gibbs, the transfer running back from Georgia Tech. I was on the air in Tuscaloosa this week. Uh, and they, they were kind of – Bama fans aren't, aren't – they're like, oh, you just rushed for, what, 800 yards at, at Georgia Tech last year. I don't think people understand how good this guy is. Georgia Tech is a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> um, you know, probably not the best offensive line, probably not the best offensive system. You know, you don't know. It was he battling with injuries. But, you know, when Georgia Tech signed him, I thought, you know, this is a difference maker. And he, and he has been, if you watch closely, going to Alabama, playing in this offense, playing with Bryce Young, playing behind that O-line, Mike, Wow. I mean, you know, Bama had some injuries at running back last year, and, and Robinson was really good, but they didn't have the depth they normally have. I think Gibbs goes in there, and, and I, I said it. Watch out for him for the Heisman, and I'm going to say it on this podcast. Don't – if I had a list of five Heisman candidates, two of them will be from Alabama, and, and one will be Bryce Young, obviously, but then the other one will be Jameer Gibbs. So, yeah, we'll see I, what happens there. I, I, I wouldn't uh, – would not be surprised – by that at all um by the way one other just uh combine note if you're if you're into 40 yard dash history taekwon thornton of baylor ran a combine best 428 i think Dion's was 429 and of course it was timed a little bit differently back when he ran it you had the Oh, uh, I just forgot his name. The kid the other the other year ran a four two. Anyway, th- that's that's the best. Tyquan Thornton. Now, what he does with it in the NFL, we shall see. Uh, Malik Willis put on a show at the combine. Of course, everybody's wondering. This is not a great year to draft a quarterback. It, 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 this is. It's not like last year, and it's not like the year before. There's a lot more. Whether it's Kenny Pickett. Uh, whether it's Malik Willis, there, there's just a lot more questions about the quarterbacks on the board this year for the um, for the NFL draft. And usually, you don't have two years in a row that are like that, which means we'll probably have some guys emerge out of the college ranks in 2022 that will provide a, 
a stronger mm-hmm. field in, in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap things up, I, I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, the one story I thought was fascinating. You know, HBCUs are making a lot of noise here uh, lately, and Deion Sanders is kind of front and center on that. But it was Doug Williams and Grambling that made the news because Art Bryles actually got a job as the offensive coordinator um, at Grambling. And then within days, the swarm hit, and they went ahead and said, um, no thanks. I heard a fascinating interview with Jason Whitlock on that subject Um if you really want to dig deep on that, it's uh, it's out there. You can you can find it online on a on a podcast or what have you. But um, I just thought it was interesting because you know, of course, Art's son is doing great things, and and he doesn't look like he's been held back to the to any major extent. Again, it was his old man that was kind of front and center. If you listen to Art's explanation, I am not here to defend Art Bryles at all. Um, but I do think it's fascinating because, and I heard a caller in on the Paul Feinbaum show mention this. If you think what went on at Baylor isn't been, hasn't been going on in other schools, uh, then you've been living under a rock, unfortunately. And I, and I sincerely mean this, it's very unfortunate. And I have no tolerance uh, for sexual assault, but sadly there's been a lot of it over the years. And a lot of it has involved college football players on campus. And Art Bryles has been the one coach that's kind of been exiled. I mean, with this latest thing, I don't know if he's ever going to get a job again. Um, But other coaches have been able to move on. I don't have a a hot take on this one way or another. I just thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know Art Bryles. I called a few of his games when he had a role in at Baylor. I thought he was entertaining. I thought he was great for the sport. He took Baylor out of nothing and made them extremely relevant uh, and was an innovator. We're talking about guys like Petrino and, uh, you know, mm. he, he, he was an innovator. Um, but anyway, that, that made some headlines for a number of different reasons that kind of transcends just the typical sports wire and whatnot. But uh, yeah. just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, he's unfor- You know, look, if Doug Williams says you need to, not do this and you're grambling uh, outside of Eddie Robinson's ghost telling you not to do it. You're not going to do it. Right. But, but here's the thing on that, JC. Yeah. Doug Williams signed off on it initially. It's not like they did this behind, you know, when Doug was on vacation. Right. So Doug had it. What got to Doug that he changed his mind. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you knew what you got. Like, it's not like you didn't know the history and you probably did your due diligence and and heard both sides of the story and decided, you know what, it's he's done his penance. It's been a while, and he certainly isn't the only head coach that that kind of thing has happened under his watch. But but the, I think, and this is again the Whitlock interview, the pressure got to Doug, and Doug just said, "I don't want to deal with it." And thanks, but no thanks, you're gone. Yeah, and and that's possible. And I, and I hate it because I'll, I'll tell you this: as far as we just had a big X's and O's discussion with, with Andre Ware. And, um, that was great. And uh, we talked about, you know, offenses to get you ready for the pros and, and, and all that. I'm not sure Art's, Art Browse offense does that. What I know is this. You look at just about any offense right now 
And there's two that come, three that come to mind in the SEC that has a Bryles influence on it. And this is the SEC where you're facing the best defenses uh, week in and week out. Uh, and I'm talking about Ole Miss. And now Jeff Levy, his son-in-law, has moved on to Oklahoma. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Tennessee with Josh Heupel, uh, who had Levy with him at Central Florida and really evolved uh, into more of a Browse guy than, of course, his son, Kendall. You look at those three programs, Mike, and, and the numbers they put up last year and just how distinctively different their personnel was. I mean, Arkansas is way different than what Ole Miss trotted out there. And and then Tennessee, it, it was different than, than what both of them did. Uh, and they all put up huge numbers. The, the, you know, I, I used to believe that, uh, you know, Dan Mullen's system made the most sense uh, on offense for an SEC program because of the power run game uh, with the quarterback. And, and, and it's adaptable. I mean, heck, they set the record for throwing the ball uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, – but I'll tell you this, it's 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 the Bryle system now, I think, is in vogue. Uh, and, and I like it because it doesn't really matter if you lose guys at key positions. Uh, you can adapt it to, to, to do something completely different. I mean, look at the difference between K.J. Jefferson uh, and, and that offense at Arkansas and then Matt Corral at Ole Miss. It's unbelievable. Um, and then Hooker at uh, – Hooker, Tennessee. Um, and so if I'm a Grambling fan, I'm pro- I was probably looking forward to that. I remember a couple of years ago when Browse was at Baylor, they, they got a bunch of injuries at quarterback and transfers. They played North Carolina in um, – uh, tan- it used to be the Tangerine Bowl. Excuse my dog. Uh, and uh, they just lined up, and I think they ran for 600 yards. So I'm gonna cut that, 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 that's my point on that is that Grambling got robbed because of that. As Red barks us to uh, the close of another uh, podcast, um, I, I will I'll close on this because people are always fascinated by the rules. Uh, I know that I am, and and it's always a controversial. I mean, every Saturday it's like, what the hell is that call all about? Why is this rule this? Why rules it? Why is this rule that? If if you were hoping that something was going to be done about faking injuries, the NCAA did announce last week it will not add rules that would give game officials the ability to penalize teams that it deems to be faking injuries during the game. It's the same thing. You're never going to get this because God forbid you're wrong one time out of a thousand. It's a really, really bad look. Again, my proposal has always been you you can't, you can't turn the referees into judge and jury on faking injuries. But what you can do if you get banged up legit or illegit, you're not just out for one play, you're out for the drive. And that would, would certainly force uh, coaches uh, to think twice about ever pulling that stunt, which we know is running rampant in college football. One other thing, that, which I do think is good that they did, is that uh, now if, if you're guilty of a targeting penalty in the second half, you can appeal the ruling afterward with a chance of being reinstated for the first half of the next game. The, the suspension part of that penalty is so ridiculous. It's so over the top. Um, and, and they haven't uh, – you, you, it's just you could do what you do in basketball. You could do flagrant one, flagrant two. Apparently they don't want to go that route, and they're just going to keep the, the, um, the, the, the silly suspensions for the next game in the first half. Uh, look, I, I think the targeting rule in, in – um, and its motives has been a good thing for the sport. 
in its actual execution of penalties, it has been a fail. And it looks like it's going to continue to be a fail, but with a little bit of a caveat on that note. JC, uh, we got spring football coming up in a few weeks, and uh, we'll continue the guest parade. We almost had uh, Jay Billis on to talk a little bit of hoops. We're not afraid to talk hoops on this podcast. Mm, no, will. no, I am fearless. Yes, yes, you are fearless. Uh, but we got a lot of things to get to in the next few. Uh, JC, great job as always. Enjoyed it, my friend. Hopefully you're uh, staying warm in Chi-Town, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, Mike. Enjoyed it, and uh, thanks, Andre, again. Looking forward to next time. Definitely. Andre Ware, fantastic word from him. As always, you can catch us on all the platforms, JC and Morgan going strong for another year. For JC, this is Mike. So long. We will talk to you next week on JC and Morgan.